0: Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We've been diving deep into Scripture in a series we call The Most. So far, Pastor Nicole has discussed the most neglected verse in the Bible. And last week, T.J. Schaefer was with us and discussed the most prioritizing verse in the Bible. Today, Pastor Nicole is back to look into a unique verse that gets quoted quite a bit, but is very rarely discussed. And it gets quoted because it happens to be the shortest verse in the Bible. So let's get started today and discover the most comforting verse in the Bible. Here's Pastor Nicole.
1: I'm curious if you are up for a joke. Okay, the 9 a.m. said they were, and then they didn't laugh. So if you say yes, you gotta laugh at the joke. All right, so a few weeks ago, I read this little story, not intended to be theologically correct in any way, so the preaching starts after this. Um, But about two 90-year-old men, Mo and Joe, All right, Mo and Joe, they um, had been friends for decades. It became clear that Joe was dying. So Mo visited him every day. And one day Mo says, Joe, we both loved baseball all our lives. We played minor league ball together for so many years. Please do me one favor. When you get to heaven, somehow, let me know if there's baseball there. Like, do I have something to look forward to? And so shortly after, Joe passes on into heaven and at midnight, a couple nights later, Mo is awakened from a sound sleep. And hears this voice calling out to him, Mo, Mo. Mo wakes up suddenly, who is it? Who's calling my name? Mo, it's me, Joe, I'm in heaven. And I have some really good news and a little bit of bad news. And Mo says, all right, well, tell me the good news first. And the the good news, Joe says, is that there is baseball in heaven, better yet, All of our old buddies who died are here before us. Uh, Better than that, we're all young again. Better still, it's springtime all the time. There's no rain, there's no snow. And best of all, we can play baseball all we want and never get tired. And Mo said, that's fantastic. It's beyond my wildest dreams. What's the bad news? And Joe said, you're pitching on Thursday. Good job, I'll tell you guys jokes more if you laugh like that. All right. So we're in the middle of this series called The Most, and we are zeroing in on some really specific verses in scripture. Some of them may be familiar to you. Uh, We're looking at the context surrounding these verses, and uh, hopefully the first week you received a group of scripture cards, they look like this. If you didn't get one, There are some out in the lobby. You can get one on your way out. Uh, But this is a pack of scripture cards of all the scriptures we're talking about during this series. And I want to challenge you to memorize them. Uh, Put them in your car, your purse, the bathroom, whatever you got to do. Wherever you do your reading, Uh, read them everywhere. Let God's word seep into your heart. In the back of the packet, there are some blank cards. My hope is that the Lord would bring to you even another scripture out of, as you read the word, um, where you can um, actually add to this as well as God is speaking to you. So today's verse I titled, The Most Comforting Verse. And this verse is also one of the shortest verses in the scripture, and it's just two words. So I wanna read it together from John eleven thirty five. So are you ready? Here it is. We can memorize this together as well, <laughs> all in the same time. So let's read it together, one, two, three, ready? Jesus wept, Jesus wept. When we look at what's happening in John chapter 11, where this verse is tucked away, we see some of the same characters who we talked about last week. So we have Mary and Martha, the two sisters from a scene in Luke that TJ um, talked about last week. If you missed it, you need to check it out on the podcast. Uh, But Mary sat at the feet of Jesus while Martha hurried around preparing the meal. And previously, Mary had anointed the Lord with oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And we also have Lazarus in this passage, a known friend of Jesus and a brother to Mary and Martha. So John 11 begins by telling us how Mary and Martha send an urgent request to Jesus. They say, look, our brother, Lazarus, is sick, life-threatening sick, and we need your help. And so specifically we see in John 11, verse three, it says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Now, Mary and Martha knew that Jesus loved Lazarus. I feel like that must've been a very observable fact. There was a friendship. There was a relationship between these two. There was care expressed. They were not strangers. And I love this because I love how they go to Jesus, okay, straight to him, and they say, look, the one you love is sick, like help us, <laughs> help us. They go straight to the Lord. They don't, they don't try to figure out the problem on their own. They go straight to the Lord and they trust and believe that God will hear, him, hear them and do something about it. And I love this passage goes on to say that when Jesus heard of this concern, um, he actually does something kind of peculiar, something the sisters didn't expect, instead of rushing to the house or dropping everything so that he could fix the problem, it says in the scripture that Jesus stayed and waited two days before he even went to see Lazarus. Curious, right? Like why, if he loved him, he wouldn't run to fix it. He waited. Well, in John eleven seven, as we're continuing through this passage, it says, finally, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to where Lazarus is. Now, the disciples must have thought Jesus' travel plans were pretty unusual because they had recently left Jerusalem under a cloud of hostility. So they were in that city, um, and they, people there wanted to see Jesus stoned and put to death. And the disciples are quick to remind Jesus this, okay? Or point this out to him. Let's look in John 11, eight through 10. The disciples say, but Rabbi, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? And I love this, Jesus answers in a riddle. (laughs) This is what Jesus does. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. And so Jesus replies with a proverb, a proverb about timeliness, proverb about God's sovereignty, a proverb about light. And what Jesus is saying is look, Listen, I am in tune with the times and the seasons of my father's plan. In fact, by saying this, he's actually answering probably the question they were not asking of is, why are we waiting? Like Lazarus needs us, why are we waiting? And Jesus is answering, listen, I am in tune with the times and the seasons of my father's plan. There are 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night and you can't change that. You can't author God. In fact, last I checked, he is the only one who can delegate the day and the night. And if God wants to change it, he can, but you have no control over that as hard as you try. The truth is the disciples were worried about what awaited them in Jerusalem, but nothing could harm Jesus until the appropriate time the father appointed. And Jesus is asking these men, listen, do you know who really is in control here? Like nobody can touch the number of days in your life. God is in charge of that. Nobody can touch the number of days of your life. God is the only one. There are 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of nighttime. God is in charge of all of that. How many of you often have to have these conversations with the Lord, I know I do, where God has to remind me, hey, 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 good try, but I'm in control here. Like, like, love you, but knock it off. <laughs> Quit trying to make something happen that I had destined to happen in a time that I have decided because there's 12 hours a day and 12 hours a night and I know all those days and I know all of those minutes. And so Jesus references uh, in this passage to a person that should walk in the daytime, which kind of sounds okay, that seems a little obvious, but what he's saying is that light helps you see things. Light helps you see things. It's especially valuable in helping you to find your way past obstacles that would otherwise be hidden from your sight. So here's the point. The disciples are traveling with the one who is the light of the world. They don't have to worry about obstacles. In fact, they don't have to worry about anything. Anything. As I read this passage in before we even get to the the center of of the study that we're on, I felt the Lord stop me in this moment and remind me of this and, and remind me and remind you that listen, we have the same assurance that if you are walking in the light of his word and you are walking with the Holy Spirit, you have no need to fear. He delegates the day and the night and he certainly has his eye on you. Listen, God is in charge and he is orchestrating perfectly things in his grand design. So turn to the person next to you and say, God's in charge, you're not. In case you didn't hear what she just said. (laughs) Okay, so as we keep reading through John 11, um, Jesus says, listen, okay, now it's time. Uh, God told me it's time to go. We're gonna go to where Lazarus is because he fell asleep and I need to wake him up. Now, of course, the disciples are confused. If you read much of the New Testament, the disciples pretty much live confused, you know? When we get to heaven and ask the disciples, how was it to walk around with Jesus? I think they're gonna be like, confusing. Like, I mean, they're just always confused. They're always like, what's going on? And so in John 11, verse six, an unlikely voice speaks up. It says, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, so fast forward nine chapters in the book of John, and you're gonna read about Thomas, who will be the disciple, you might remember him, who says, "Um, I'm not gonna believe in the resurrection until I put my fingers in the nail marks where they are. In fact, he gets a bad rap of being called Doubting Thomas. And so when I read this, I kind of feel the need to clear this guy's name a little bit, okay? Like in John 11, Thomas is the only one who stands up like a bold and courageous follower of Jesus. And he is the only one who says, let's go with him for better or for worse. Thomas isn't doubting in this passage. Thomas is saying, Jesus, if you're going to go, then I'm going to go. If you're going to lay down your life, then I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Now, it's interesting. Um, Thomas was a twin. Thomas was a twin. And the scripture actually never reveals to us who his twin was. But when his name is listed, the writer always makes sure to put this, also known as Didymus, which this actually means um, that he was a twin. But I think the fact that he is a twin is a good place to remind ourselves, even if we never know who who his twin was, is that we should twin with Thomas. We should twin with this attitude, right? In this moment, we should twin with the fact that when Jesus says, follow me, here we go, somewhere dangerous, they wanna stone us there someday, we say, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with you no matter what. I'll lay it all down and go. I'll go to a place I never thought I would go. I'll do something that you asked me and I never thought I would do. I'll get uncomfortable in my own skin. I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. So continuing in John 11, Jesus arrives at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. And Martha runs out to meet Jesus on the way. She greets him. uh, And she says in John 11, 21 through 22, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I love Martha. She is like that friend you have that will always point the spinach out in your teeth, right? She's that friend that doesn't cut any corners. She basically says to Jesus, welcome to the funeral, Jesus. By the way, this is all your fault. (laughs) I mean, you can eat the beans I made, but this funeral is your fault because you didn't come. And if you would've come, he wouldn't have died. We read in the scripture, Jesus has a conversation with Martha about who he is. And Jesus reminds her that he is the resurrection and the life and he will soon deal with death. And he will conquer it forever. And Jesus will soon go to the cross and die for the sins of Mary and Martha and Lazarus and pay the penalty for sin and death completely and fully. Jesus says, listen, I'm the plan. You don't have to worry about me being late or early or on time. I am the plan for resurrection for us all. So here is where we get the most comforting verse in John 11, 33 through 36. When Jesus saw her weeping as Martha and Mary And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. So we see here that the Jews assumed that Jesus was crying over Lazarus, his friend, who had died. They assumed he was crying for the same reason we cry. When we lose someone we love for the same reason Martha and Mary were crying in the Jews. But but the funny thing is we know that Jesus is about to wake Lazarus up, right? In fact, remember, he told his disciples, we're going over there not to have a funeral, but we're gonna go wake him up. Like he even revealed to the disciples it wasn't gonna be a surprise to them if they actually listened to what he was saying. And we know that Jesus has the power to do that Like, we know that he's all-knowing and sovereign and omniscient. Jesus was not sitting there thinking, oof, this is a tricky one. I don't really know what's going to happen. Or I'll pray in faith, but I don't know if he's going to come out. Listen, Jesus knew that what was about to happen is Lazarus was going to come hopping out of that tomb alive and well. That was his plan all along. And we see the whole picture. We see the ending So it doesn't make sense that Jesus is crying over the death of Lazarus, that's what they assumed. But it doesn't make sense when he knew he was about to call him out of the grave to be resurrected again. So why was Jesus really weeping? Why was Jesus really weeping? All right, I want you to tell the person next to you your very deep theological view on this. Why was Jesus really weeping? Go ahead, give it a guess. So in the scripture, we see Jesus coming face to face with the rotting effect of death and hopelessness. And he looks at how sad Mary and Martha was and and he sees Lazarus lifeless from illness. And he sees what the wages of sin was doing to the world. It was decaying it, it was killing it. He watched as the world was operating outside of its original intent. Jesus was brokenhearted because it wasn't supposed to be this way. Like it was never supposed to be this way. Death is not what humanity was built for. Sin messed up the plan. And so Jesus is looking at death And he's saying, he's weeping over this tangible expression of how sin has crept into the world and ruined God's perfect plan. And he has compassion on Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples, and really for you and for me and for all of humanity, because he's face to face with the fact that sin has killed the very perfect plan of what God had in mind for a world that we are now living in. And in response to this, Shortly after in the book of John, Jesus says, give me that cross. Give me that cross because I deeply love my children and I am now going to conquer sin, death, and the grave once and for all so they never have to deal with that again. And his compassion in that moment led him, drove him, to the the sacrifice on the cross that would change things forever. Go ahead and just give God some thanks right now for that. So what can we learn from Jesus's tears? First, Jesus's tears are a promise, they're a pledge. A pledge that he makes with us that his tears, his deep compassion to make things right again, led him to die on the cross, and he suffered and was beaten and betrayed. He gave his very life for us. And then on the third day, he rose again in victory. Death was defeated. And the same passion that will fulfill, that fulfilled that promise is the same passion that will fulfill the promise in scripture that he's coming again. Revelation 1, seven through eight tells us this, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him so shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And John, the writer of this passage is saying, watch, look, behold, because he's coming again and he's coming on the clouds and every single eye will see him. And this is a promise, this is a pledge. And when we read Jesus wept, we can remember that he loves us so deeply that he's coming back to redeem the whole earth and to make it right again. Second, Jesus's tears are an example. So if Jesus wept over sin and brokenness and those far from God and the world plagued by darkness, then we should weep over those things too. Our hearts should break at the way the world is. As followers of Jesus, we cannot ignore the pain of the world around us. We cannot isolate ourselves, plug our ears, close our our eyes, come into this building, like pretend everything's just fine if we just don't associate with the rest of the world. You know, everything's broken out there, but as long as we're in here singing the songs we like, everything will be fine. Jesus is saying, look, I wept for others. I walked straight into their darkness and straight into their pain, and I wept for them. And Romans 12 is giving Christ followers instructions on how to engage with the people around them. And it says in Romans 12, verses 14 through 15, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice and read this last part with me, weep with those who weep. (laughs) He says, look, you have to get into the mess. We have to live set apart and holy, but deeply into the hurt and the pain and the mess of the world around us if we want to be like Jesus. I think it's so noteworthy to recognize that Jesus wept, but he was deeply moved internally, but it didn't stop there. He then did something about it. Like it doesn't say Jesus wept and then he went about his daily business. Like he had a lot on his to-do list. It didn't say Jesus wept and then he laid in bed and binged Netflix and ate Cheetos to numb the pain. And he felt really, really bad for those people. It said that Jesus wept and then he showed up, right? He went to the tomb and he rolled away the stone and he said, Lazarus, come out. And when Lazarus struggled to come out, he said, loose him and let him go. Jesus said, do something, I'm gonna do something. It's not enough to have pity for those who are sick or have a burden for kids or to be sorry for people who are far from God. We have to do something with the tears that are coming out of our eyes. Jesus wept and then he did something. And that's why like Pastor Danielle said, we're having this special event today about human trafficking. Look, we are heartbroken. We weep with those who are victims of this terrible crime. And listen, we don't just weep with them. We wanna do something about it. And I wanna just encourage you to go to the workshops this afternoon, but, but make sure you're here tonight at six o'clock so we can worship and pray and give and talk about how we can do something with the tears that we have for the people that are, that are victimized by this terrible thing. Here's the last one that I'll end with today is that Jesus' tears are a comfort. You know, this is the most comforting verse in the Bible. Why I labeled it that? Is because we can be confident that Jesus gets us. That Jesus gets us, that Jesus knows how we feel that he became fully man so he could understand what we feel, what it's like, and what we deal with as humans. I love Hebrews 4.15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, Jesus understands our tears, and because of that, he can wipe every single one of them away. Because of that, we can go to him with every care and every ache and every pain and every heartbreak. He wants to hear from us. He wants to help us through the pains we experience. No one else might understand, but he understands. Everyone else might think it's stupid, but he doesn't think it's stupid. I am so thankful. I'm so grateful for a God that gets us. A God that we can go to with everything that we have, just as we are and say, Lord, this is how I feel. And God says, oh, I weep with you. I weep with you. And I don't just stop there. I'm gonna do something about it. The most comforting verse in the scripture also is Jesus wept because he wept, he did weep, but Jesus isn't weeping anymore. Death has no dominion anymore. In fact, he's done away with weeping altogether. And when we get to heaven, we're gonna be done weeping too. And I love that promise of heaven. I love in Revelation 21 that I believe so much connects to this passage in John 11, because it says, listen, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or weeping or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Heaven doesn't have a hospital doesn't have funerals. Heaven doesn't have discouragement or pain or grief or loss or bad days. Jesus wept, but his weeping is over. Jesus wept, but his sorrow is now a thing of the past. And if you are a follower of Jesus, yours will be over pretty soon too. Because when we enter into the kingdom of God, into heaven, there is no more weeping. Jesus wept on earth when he saw the pain and the sin and the brokenness of his people, but he made a place for us where we'll never ever have to weep again. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray for you before we go. If you feel comfortable, just hold your hands out like this. Jesus, we thank you that you wept. We thank you that a two uh, sentence verse can become so comforting to us. Thank you that you have a heart for your people. Thank you that you looked down and you saw the brokenness and the sin and you saw that this wasn't how it was supposed to be. But instead of just crying, God, you went and you did something about it. Thank you that you died on a cross to make the world right again. We are so thankful you've made a way for us to live in heaven with you forever. And we pray we can weep with those and for those around us. Help us see what we can do to combat the darkness and the pain that we see all around us. And we look forward to the day where there will be no more weeping. That you will wipe it all the way in heaven with you in a kingdom where you rule and you reign. But until then, we trust you. We trust you, God, we wanna trust you more. And we wanna stand in the promise of two small words, that Jesus wept, and then he changed everything. And it's in your good name I pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First podcast. Please give us a rating on your podcast app, subscribe so you never miss a message, and share it with your friends. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram, or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.